0: Chapter 9 of Esther Reed's Namesake. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Esther Reed's Namesake by Pansy. Chapter 9 Harmony and Discord. The day was perfect, at least so far as weather was concerned, and its charms were such that it had been generally discussed, although the dwellers in that part of the world were used to perfect May days. It was Saturday and a gala day, at least for the company who were to spend it on King Mountain. Esther Randall's long-planned Saturday holiday had come to her at last. A select company, not too large for enjoyment, yet large enough to escape the charge of exclusiveness, had started in the early morning for the twelve-miles drive, with a view to giving the entire day to the joys and glories of open-air life and mountain scenery. Blanche Halstead and Faith Farnham were of the company, of course. Indeed, Faith was the moving spirit of the trip, though she had been ably aided and abetted by Professor Langham. A number of the younger and favorite teachers were included in the company. "'We have a select and congenial and at the same time distinguished crowd,' Faith said complacently to Esther when arrangements were complete. "'I congratulate myself on my skill in avoiding the not wanted. The only jarring note in the composition is Laura Welby, and she may be said to have invited herself.' At least, I failed in making her understand that she was not intended. However, Laura means to be all right, and she can't help being stupid, I suppose, any more than the rest of us can help being brilliant. "'Who are to pose as the distinguished members?' Esther asked. "'Who can tell, my child? The wise ones say that Professor Langham needs only a few years and gray hairs to be set down as distinguished in his department.' and our famous graduate, Mr. Harkness, is alarmingly near distinction already with his scientific discovery. And then, my dear, here are our honourable selves, every one of us looking forward to distinction in some line. Mine is in having a good time. I haven't quite settled it what yours is to be, but if you continue in your present sphere, before you know it you will be distinguished as having lived a whole year with the victors without having choked or poisoned any of them. Esther was in high spirits that day, almost too high, her watchful mother would have said, not to expect a reaction. But in truth, the reaction from steady and, for the most part, hard work, was upon her. It was long since she had allowed herself an entire day for rest and recreation. The company was in every way congenial to her. The two girls so unlike her continued to be her special friends and were growing so dear that time spent in their society was counted as pleasure. And Professor Langham, who was always distinguished for his thoughtfulness and courtesy, had about him that day a certain indefinable but distinct something which was more than either courtesy or thoughtfulness. Esther, as she felt it, felt also a strange new glow at her heart, and timidly questioned, Was this, could it be possible that he, then left even her thought unfinished, but her heart beat the faster because of it. Accident, if accident it was, had thrown them much together during the early part of the day. It had been arranged that in the great four-horse mountain wagon two people must occupy the high front seat with the driver. It was a coveted place because of its greater opportunity for unobstructed views. For that reason everyone held politely back and waited for others. At last Professor Langham came to the driver's aid. See here, friends, we are losing time. We should be on our way. Somebody must sacrifice himself or herself at once, or shall we draft people? Suppose we leave it to the laws of chance. There are, let me see, one, two, seven ladies who have not yet appeared. I decree that the first one who comes through yonder gate shall be appointed to the front seat. As he spoke, a merry shout went up, for at that moment Esther Randall came breathlessly up the college hill, and hurried through the gate with the air of one who knew she was late and was being waited for. Amid much laughter and, on her part, bewildered questioning, she was mounted to the high seat. "'How shall the next victim be chosen?' said the smiling professor, and then the driver interposed. "'There had ought to be someone up here who knows how to drive, for there's places where the road is winding,' "'that I can do better for you walking than driving, "'and yet I kind of like to have someone up here "'who knows how, if anything happens.' "'At this all eyes were leveled at Professor Langham, "'who was an acknowledged horseman, "'but it was Laura Welby who spoke for them. "'Then let's make Professor Langham sit up there. "'I don't want to risk my neck with anybody else, "'but I know he can drive anything.' "'Even a class in Browning,' murmured Faith Farnham, too low to be heard save by her nearest neighbor, who exploded with laughter, for Laura Welby was the acknowledged dunce of the Browning class. At last the laughing, chattering crowd was seated, Professor Langham on the high seat next the driver, with Esther on his left. She had neither sought nor expected such an exalted position, but she had reason to be well pleased with it. Professor Langham knew every foot of the road which she was passing over for the first time, and could not only call attention to points of historic or legendary interest, but tell the stories connected with them. Moreover, his skill as a driver was several times demonstrated, as he guided the horses along the narrow and sharply curving road, while the driver ran on ahead to be sure there were no obstructions. There was also much talk that had not to do with the scenery. Whenever there was something of special local interest, Professor Langham thoughtfully turned his head and raised his voice, so as to include as much of the company as possible. But between such points, Esther had the full benefit of his conversational powers, and admitted to herself that there was excellent ground for the generally received opinion that Professor Langham was a rare talker. Moreover, there was all the while that subtle something which marked his manner toward her as out of the ordinary. He had laid aside the air of a teacher or mentor, and was meeting her on some common ground that felt new to her, there was a constant watchfulness for her comfort. A sunshade was raised at just the right moment to relieve her eyes. An obtruding branch of a tree was seized upon and held back, so that it could not touch even her hat. A rare combination of color and shadow was quietly pointed out to her, as an interlude to the story he was telling for the general benefit. In these and other ways, each in itself insignificant, did Professor Langham keep before her mind the thought that she was the object of his special care, and Esther liked it. Throughout the day these attentions continued. They were unobtrusive, as became a gentleman. He made her in no wise conspicuous, yet so managed it that she could not help seeing that his thought was for her. When the various duties of the luncheon committee were being assigned, it fell to Esther's lot to make the coffee and chocolate, certain of the girls affirming loudly that she could make them better than anybody else. "'Then we will cast in our lot together,' said Professor Langham gaily, "'and establish our fires side by side, as I am to broil the steak, "'chiefly because I know I can do it better than anybody else, "'though no one has been kind enough to say so.'" This arrangement proved eminently satisfactory to Esther. Professor Langham not only looked after her fire, but interested himself in the making of the coffee, and proved that he knew as much about that as he did about broiling steak. It was all managed in such fashion that what might have been an onerous task to Esther became one of her pleasures. There could never have been a more delightful repast than was served on King Mountain that day, nor a merrier company to partake of it. Esther, who had always been of a mercurial temperament, laid aside all care and anxiety resolutely relegated the victors and the many annoyances which they represented to the background, and gave herself up to the delights of the hour. For the most part the entire company was in sympathy with her mood. Perhaps they all were. It was what Faith Farnham called constitutional stupidity, rather than a wish to be disagreeable, that made Laura Welby a discordant note. It was when the merry dinner of many courses was nearing its conclusion that Blanche Halstead had a happy thought. Why don't we have some toasts? No dinner in these days is complete without them. Here is delicious lemonade at their service, or coffee for those whose brains need stimulating. We ought to have planned for it and had a toast-master. Faith Farnham seized upon the idea. That is a brilliant thought, my dear, worthy of my own mind. Let us have toasts at once. Never mind a toast-master. The gentlemen shall all be masters and create their own toasts, as well as respond to them. Then Laura, who sat next to Esther at the improvised table, put in her note of discord. Wait! How do you know that we can indulge in toasts? Perhaps they are wrong. Here is Esther with her conscience, you know, and it ought not to be ruffled on this day of all days. How is it, Esther? Are they wicked? The eyes of all the company instinctively turned toward Esther. Not one of them but knew of her as a girl with scruples and she, who was tried by her own sensitiveness on the subject, could not help blushing painfully. She succeeded, however, in controlling her voice, and speaking with apparent indifference. I should think that might depend on the society in which one moved. I can conceive of sentiments advanced as toasts that might properly be named wicked, as apparently you can. Perhaps you have had experiences of that kind? The laugh was decidedly against Laura. "'but she took it, as she did most things, in utmost good nature. "'I? Oh, no, indeed,' she said. "'I think toasts are delightful. "'But that New England conscience of yours "'has such a peculiar way of pouncing on things "'that we have all considered innocent "'that I find I can never be sure of my ground any more.' "'Poor creature,' said Faith Farnham, in mock sympathy. "'Who would have imagined that she was afflicted with a conscience?' and again the merriment was over Laura. Then immediately someone proposed a toast, and Esther, feeling that attention was diverted from her, was able to give herself to the business of getting her indignation well in hand. She had not given Laura credit for obtuseness, but believed this to be a premeditated attack on what she knew was regarded as her peculiarities. It had been at Laura's home that she was most persistently urged to join in the dance and to try a game of cards, and Esther believed that this was Laura's mean little revenge for the note of discord thus introduced at her party. The toasts were merry, and many of them were extremely clever, but Esther's turmoil of spirit was such that she could not appreciate them. It added to her indignation to observe that Laura had apparently forgotten her existence, and was laughing and enjoying herself with the others. It was not until she heard from the farther end of the ground the voice of Professor Langham proposing and speaking to his toast, that Esther gave full attention to the proceedings. The New England conscience, the force which, if it made our forefathers puritanical, made them great, and lies at the bottom of the best things in our nation. May those who have the old blood in their veins, whether sons or daughters of New England or not, never be ashamed of the old-fashioned conscience, because we sometimes laugh at it who owe it all we have. As soon as his voice had ceased, there was a general and very vigorous clapping of hands. But no sooner could she be heard than Laura Welby once more made Esther the centre of observation. Dear me, what a tribute to Esther Randall, the only New England conscience in this company! I think she ought to be made to respond, or at least to acknowledge the tribute in some way. I call for a speech from Miss Randall. But Professor Langham had risen again and the people who would have gaily helped to carry out what they thought was a joke, waited to listen. "'In the interests of morality, I feel compelled to call upon Miss Welby to explain why she credits but one of our large and eminently respectable company with a conscience. You will observe that in the general charge she does not even exempt herself. Let us hear from her.' "'Me?' said Laura, only half comprehending and with delicious disregard to grammar. "'Oh, mercy! I can't make a speech, or a toast, or whatever it is they want. "'I am not one of the speech-making kind. "'They ought to make Esther Randall do it.' "'I wonder if people are to blame for being idiots,' "'muttered Faith Farnham, with a savage look for Laura. "'Such utter lack of common sense is as bad as intentional malice. "'Faith had been almost childishly anxious "'that this day should be one of unalloyed pleasure to her friend,' And realized better than did any other what the sensitive girl was suffering at Laura's hands. End of chapter nine. Recording by Tricia G.